0: Welcome to this week's episode of the Compass Equip Podcast. We are your hosts, Hayden and Evan. Hello. And just a reminder, things don't change when it comes to our mission statement. The the fall will turn into spring, the spring will turn into summer, but I'll tell you what will not change, the mission at Compass Bible Church. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything we do here at Compass, including this podcast, is to fulfill the mission of reaching, teaching, and training. We are really excited to be getting into the fall semester of our church ministry, and we hope you guys are excited as we uh, launch our fall ministry schedule with our Back to School Bash coming up. It's going to be awesome. Up. It's going to be great, Make and sh- the
1: weather should cool down. It's sh- mm-hmm. Well, yeah, in, in, like, Texas, in October,
0: know. November. Yeah.
1: <laughs> It'll be fall for two days That's and then right. winter.
0: But we are looking forward to next uh, Sunday. We hope you guys are inviting people and thinking about who you're going to bring with you for our Back to School Bash. But we are in our current series, Summer on the Mount, and we have done our second sermon on prayer, prayer part two, where we uh, look at the Lord's prayer, his model prayer for us as the children of God in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 15. Pastor Evan, would you
1: read those verses for us? It would be my pleasure. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 9. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. All right, Pastor Hayden, you know this is something that's familiar, but what is the main point to this text? Right, effective prayer
0: requires that we keep God's economy at the forefront of your prayers. And what we mean by God's economy is the way that God values and sees uh, the, the world, the creation, our lives, uh, how he... Uh, how he positions himself as the, as the creator of the universe, who he is uh, and what he, what he expects, how he values things. That's his economy. And that's, it's in, uh, it's in uh, comparison, I guess, contrast to the way that we view things, what we think or may think is important, what our world thinks is important, what our culture thinks is valuable. we got to make sure that we're praying according to God's economy and not the economy of our world. And so there's your focus here on these few verses to make sure that we're going to pray according to God's economy that our prayers would be would be helpful and useful uh, in our lives and in our relationship with God. And what were your, did you talk about your points? I did not. What are your points? My points are number one that we need to pray with a high view of God. The world wants to. Uh, wants to uh, de-elevate God. They want to make God so much like like us, and we got to make sure that we're going to pray with a, a high view of God as we think about him as our Father who is in heaven. There is a familial reality that we have in our relationship with God, but there is a transcendent reality that God is the God of the universe. He is enthroned in the heavens, and the earth, as Scripture says, is his footstool. And that is such an interesting picture that as we are truly his children here on earth, we recognize that he is just utterly transcendent and ruler over all. And uh, as far as the earth goes, you know, for centuries we thought the earth was a center of the universe. Uh, we had lo and behold found out that it is not even the center of our own galaxy. Whoops. And we recognize as we look at scripture, like, you know, the world is a footstool to the Lord. I mean, we <laughs> throughout history, I guess we have just, you would think that we'd have a lower view of ourselves given a progressive revelation to saying that the world's not the center of the universe, but we still like to make ourselves the center of our own universes. And remembering that uh, that God is our Father who is exalted and transcendent in the heavens, and he's holy, and he is completely otherly, you think that would just lower us to the, a right view of ourselves. But sin does not do that. Sin makes much of us and little of God, and so when we look at this, uh, when we look at these verses and these prayers, it helps us put God where He ought to be, and it reminds us where we need to be. And He's holy; He's utterly distinct. Holy is Your name. We're going to talk about the kingdom of God, His kingdom come, uh, His eschatological kingdom being ushered in at the return of Christ is what we are longing for and looking forward to. And our prayers need to remind us of that and call God to. Uh, Uh, as he sees fit and as he wills to bring his kingdom Uh, and that his will would be done both in that eschatological reality but also that in our life today here on earth that he would make his will be done as it is in heaven, which uh, calls into action our own commitment to living according to God's will in our daily life as we pray for him to do that in a macro level across the world. And point number two, we need to pray for our daily provisions as we move from who God is and what he's doing uh, in the universe that we're also um, just so grateful to see in this prayer, uh, Jesus has turned to the the needs of the individual of the eight billion people on planet Earth, and as we are just one galaxy of and millions of galaxies, and as we're just one planet of billions of planets, right? That that God has <laughs> chosen these these people here to be the, His chosen priesthood, his nation, and he cares about our needs. And even those 8 billion people on earth, he wants to provide for your daily needs. Think about that. And he wants to provide in our daily sustenance, the things that we need every day to get through the day And according to his will and to focus on his kingdom. He wants us to have what we need in order to be able to do that. And he, We need to eat, and we need to drink, we need to have clothes, we need to have a, a home to live in. All those things God desires for us according to his will, uh, he also cares for the forgiveness that that we have from him, obviously in justification, right, in being saved from our sins, but in the context of this text, in that daily relationship with God, that, that God's desire isn't that any sin in our life would, would create any kind of relational chasm between us and God on a daily basis. I mean, we know this to be true, that as we sin on a daily basis, there is a relational chasm. Uh, There is a relational chasm. There's a relational hurdle there in between us and God that us going to God in repentance removes and allows us into that intimate um, relationship with God uh, that is otherwise thwarted because of our sins. So God calls us here in this prayer to ask for daily forgiveness and even connects it to that communal reality that uh, we need to remember to forgive one another as God has forgiven us, which we'll get to in a little bit. And then he finally prays for that daily deliverance that we need to be understanding as Christ- as Christians that there is the schemes of Satan and there is the desires of our flesh that are often partnering together uh, to uh, keep us from focusing on the, our father in heaven and his kingdom and his will. And we need to be praying for deliverance from anything, whether it is the uh, flesh or whether it is the schemes of Satan that we'd be delivered from those, that we would be able to focus on the kingdom of God and his will. Because when uh, we turn our back on the kingdom of God and the will of God, uh, because we're tantalized by our own flesh or the schemes of Satan to lead us into sin and, Uh, to keep us from focusing on God, that's exactly what it does. It keeps us from focusing on the main thing, uh, and we're in sin, and then we got to go back and and repent and and remove ourselves from those situations and then refocus and recalibrate our lives on the will of God. So we pray, God, keep us from those things. Like, keep us so we don't even have to to deal with those things. We we just pray for deliverance from those
1: realities so we can focus on, on you as our Father. All right, well, we have a question All sent right. to us. And by the way, Compass, be sure, if you ever have a question about a sermon, be sure to scan your worksheet and uh, send a question so that we can not only help you, but other pe- if you're thinking it, as my dad always says, someone else is probably thinking it too. So All right. we'd love to help you guys under- understand Scripture more, especially verses 14 to 15. Um, the question is... Can you expand on the emphasis that you mentioned, saying, if you are forgiven, you will forgive? And give us a preview of what First 15 means. You know, Matthew 6 15. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Good question.
0: Yeah. Uh, at 9 o'clock, I mentioned this and talked about some the bad theology that we can have. Uh, if we don't think rightly about verse fourteen and verse fifteen, because if we're not careful, what we read out of these verses is—let uh, uh, me just say—what we should get out of these verses is this idea that as a Christian, I'm going to forgive. Right? Uh, as a Christian, I is is just as I don't have to worry about my sins being forgiven because I just know they are. I also know that that exact same uh, equity. That I must forgive, and so you know, I could be wrong when I look at verse fourteen and fifteen. But what I'm not seeing here, for me, as I look at that text, is to say, "Well, I'm not going to be forgiven if I don't forgive that person." Uh, so I'm going to forgive, so I'll be forgiven. I, I don't think that is a I don't think that's an accurate understanding of that that text. I do think that the reality of that is it would be true but it's not because you're a Christian, right? I mean, you see what I'm saying there? It's like, it's fifteen. verse 15 isn't true according to the reality of the Christian faith of saying, I'm going to forgive. I mean, the good news of why verse 15 for me is going to say, as a Christian with a new heart and the Holy Spirit, I'm going to forgive. But if I did not have the capacity to forgive, then I'm not forgiven. see, And that's where I think verse 15... Gets to the heart of the matter is if you're a Christian, you're going to forgive because you've been forgiven. If you're not a Christian, you're not going to forgive, which means you're not forgiven. And so I want you to be careful as you read verses 14 and 15 for the heart of that to say, we're going to connect that to verse 12, that we're going to forgive our debtors as we have been forgiven. You know, it's not, it didn't say, I'm going to be forgiven of my debt if I have, if I forgive my debtors. It's saying, no, this has happened and I am forgiving. And verse 14 and 15 are just, I I believe, are just, uh, recapitulating that reality of saying, as a Christian, I'm forgiving others because my Father has forgiven me. If I wasn't a Christian, I I would not be forgiving others, and I would not be forgiven. But because I am a Christian, I'm forgiving, so I'm going to forgive others. W- what do you say about that? I mean, do you think I'm wrong? Do, we, do you have a different position on that than I do?
1: No, I, I hold it in the same position because you have to remember the context of what Jesus is talking about. Remembering Jesus is talking to a giant crowd discern, you know, helping them try to discern if they're in the kingdom of heaven or not, if right. they are blessed or not. Uh, and also we had to also remember that Matthew's talking to Christians as he's writing this letter. And this prayer is to, is the challenge. Why? Because what happened in the, just the verses before is we have Jesus saying, don't pray like this and don't pray like this. So, you, so don't practice your righteousness. So they keep that in mind, this Lord's prayer is countering a culture of prayerlessness And And self-righteousness. And self-righteousness of uh, hypocritical prayers where people from the Pharisees to the Gentiles, they're not praying to forgive others as they have been forgiven. Yeah, okay. And so Jesus is talking to a crowd and we have to really challenge ourselves to go, When I have an unforgiving heart, to go, whoa, why do I have this unforgiving heart? What's wrong with my heart? Because if I have a changed heart, if I have been forgiven, I have the capacity to forgive. And it's like throughout the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, from from the beginning all the way to the end, Jesus is going to challenge you, are you really in? Because if your behavior doesn't match what, say, your heart change has, you really should be asking tough questions. Right,
0: which is why I think verse 14, verse 15, like you're saying, does that. It says, hey, are you a kingdom person? Because a kingdom person forgives because they've been forgiven. And you got to ask yourself, are you a kingdom person? What all of the book of Matthew has been getting us to, to this point, is what verses 14 and 15 reiterate. So that's why it's easy to hold that position of saying, yeah, it would be true if you weren't a Christian, that you can't forgive and you're not going to be forgiven. But the news for the Christian is you... You will forgive, and you must forgive because you've been forgiven.
1: And I would, I would make the case that forgiveness is, is one of the questions that we kind of wrote down, thinking through the sermon. Like, why is forgiveness such a big deal in the Lord's Prayer? You know, we're having a repentant heart toward God. To am I praying for forgiveness so I can forgive? You know, for, praying for the ability to forgive others so, you know, because I'm forgiven. And you know, what are we praying for in the kingdom? You know, for God's name to be set apart, for His kingdom to be to become. The way that he rules perfectly in heaven will be here on earth as well. And what's one way that he does that? By forgiving people and having those people forgive one another to show that these people are different. They actually forgive one another. These no, people other, is different. These people is different. Like they're, <laughs> they're forgiving one another. Yeah. Who, who are these people? Oh, I'm a forgiven person of right. God. It, it, it's, can, it's letting your light shine
0: before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven, heaven because of his will
1: in heaven is being done here. And the way that, and I hope you see this through the sermon series as we take the, pretty much this whole year to do the Sermon on the Mount is that you can't isolate these texts that we're so familiar with, yes, especially verse. Right. You can't isolate fourteen, fifteen. Like, what does this mean? Well, you have to remember the entire. context of the rest of it mean? Of this rest of the sermon, because it's all interconnected,
0: right? So, like, for instance, verses fourteen and fifteen connect directly to the beatitudes, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the poor in spirit, uh, those who are contrite contri- hearts. I mean, you just go all. You look at all of those beatitudes, and you're thinking. Oh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. There you go. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So who are those who are going to be forgiven? Those who are forgiving. Those who are merciful. So, I mean, even the verses 14 and 15 are connected there, even to the Beatitudes. It's just a good example of what you're saying is, you know, you can't take them in isolation. You have to interpret them according to what has already been spoken by Jesus. And when you do that, it's easy for us to say it's what it may seem like to say, well, if I don't forgive, then I'm equally not going to be forgiven. If I don't forgive for this little sin, I'm not going to forgive for this sin. And we like to take it tit for tat if we're not being careful. And we're saying, that's not the point of these these texts. The point here is a forgiven person is going to forgive people because we've been given the grace of God. Therefore, we're going to give the grace of God because we've been given a new heart and we've been given the Holy Spirit. Uh, But yes, for those who do not forgive they can expect that their sins are not forgiven because the people who are going to forgive are the merciful who will receive merciful which says where is your heart do you have a forgiven heart
1: do you have the heart of
0: stone made the heart of flesh
1: and as this sermon from christ is to help to discern for you and i am i a kingdom person and here's right. evidence of that i will forgive I don't have a choice in the matter because it's the Holy Spirit that's going to convict me right now. It may take me a while. It may take me a while. I may, I may sin and be called to repentance and not forgiving. I might resist, but eventually the Holy Spirit who is far more superior in strength than I will make me forgive. Right, And it's not, it's like, I'm not looking, it's not looking for a feeling. It's not looking for this kind of like peace. Like Mm -hmm. no, forgiveness is hard and it's an action But it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can do it. Right, and
0: if if we're talking about people in the church, then church discipline comes into play. It's like, well, you know, how how what 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 people would ask? Well, what if they just never do? Well, um, they're in community and they're Christians and their issues are reconciliation. Then the church is going to call them to reconciliation. So God has just given so many wonderful blessings and tools for us to make sure that people who are forgiven are forgiving. The Holy Spirit, the new heart the local church, God's word, I mean, all that. So that's why we can rest assured that when we look at verses 14 and 15, we can have confidence that our sins are forgiven because we're forgiving.
1: And before I forget, because we have other questions, it's the verses uh, 14 and 15, and kind of what you talked about in Matthew 9, where Jesus looks at the harvest and says, oh, the harvest is plentiful, right. but the laborers, if we pray earnestly for laborers and what he needs to do in Matthew 10, he sends out, sends out li- he li- li- answers it. the prayer. Yeah. And so what is one of the part of the prayers? Help me to forgive as I've been forgiven. And right. so fourteen fifteen is that kind of answer to prayer is that I'm gonna do it. That I'm gonna do it. Right. Um good well Pastor Hannon maybe one more question. Sure. Um you mention, you know, Jesus, you know, hallowed be your name, God. Why are names so important? My name's Evan. It just means John in Welsh. I don't know what your meaning. Well, you mean. it it
0: doesn't mean much in our Western society, which is why I thought it was worth mentioning there. In, uh, you know, in in that in the first point, because uh, it does matter in uh, Hebraic culture, first century Israel. Names matter because names, uh, names describe the, the essence of the person or the nature of that person like i talked about abram being abraham and sarai being sarah and uh jacob being israel and even used to call his name jesus because he will save his people from their sins and literally yeshua means the god who saves it's like in that culture you say when, when you talk about a name, you're talking about who that person is. And uh, you even see a lot of just uh, bad examples of that also in the Old Testament when, uh, well, ja- well, Jacob's a good example. Jacob was called Jacob because he was called heel grabber, deceiver, Right? And because what did he do in his life? He deceived He whole deceived lot. and he grabbed Esau's heel as he was trying to, as he's coming out of the womb of his mother. And so basically his name was just what he did, who he was, what he was known for. Sounds like
1: a terrible birth.
0: Right. Well, it wasn't great. Uh, but oh, Poor Rachel. Uh, but even so when we think about God, like, like hallowed be your name. Like when we say hallowed be your name, we're saying you are holy. We're not just talking about the name of God is holy. We're talking about who God, he is holy. That's who he is and his
1: name ought to be revered as such because he is such. The way to think about it is: What do people think when they hear your name? You know, when people th- when I say Hayden around people, w- what do they think about mm-hmm. Hayden? When they say when you say Evan, what do people think about me? So our goal is when people th- hear the word God, when they hear the word Jesus, we want them to think properly about the person and character of who God is, mm-hmm. and so that's. Right. Which kind we okay, of, which and, we're for. yeah,
0: ex- exactly. And while we're there, I mean, we need to we'll wrap this up. But it's talking about the you know, do we believe that God is a person, and we're going to say yes. But what we're going to say is, it, it's always hard for the for our minds to say person. But when we can say, does, does God have personhood? Like, does God have personhood? And then that's kind of easier for us because we only we think in this anthropology apological way of, you know, having fingers and toes and nose. Uh, but when we say, does God have personhood, we say, yes, what does it take to have personhood? And we say, uh, an intellect, a will, an emotion. And, emotion. and we're going to say, does God have an intellect? Yes. Does God have a will? Yes. Does God have emotion? Yes. Yes, and we're going to say then God has personhood, just the same way that you don't lose your personhood because you die and become a disembodied soul. You still have personhood. You're still Evan, just disembodied. And so... I, I I just want to bring us to, uh, to help us, like, oh, I can grasp this. That God is holy. That's who He is. His personhood, His He is holy. That's who He is. Right. It's not just this thing floating in the in the ethereal
1: nebulous of the universe. It's like, no, well, this is God, and He is holy. Yeah. When you think of God, He's He's merciful. You know, uh, steadfast yeah. love endures forever, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and so forth. And so that's what we think of personhood. He is holy. That's who he is. That is his nature. He's set apart. He's divine. Exactly. Hope that's helpful. I hope that's helpful. right, Pastor Hayden, we have a few announcements. So what announcements do we have for our church? Well, we had a great staff update in uh,
0: service this morning. Uh, Some bittersweet realities, but just so good. I mean, just so good. Jordan Murphy, our uh, student director who's been serving uh, in a serve team role, that he has held down a full-time job while he's also led our student ministry. It's been such a blessing to watch him over the last two years. He is heading off to—we are sending him to seminary at Kansas City, Missouri, at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. We're sending him out, uh, which is leaving a a hole in— in our student ministry, when it comes to leadership, and so therefore we're having Pastor Evan uh, transition from kids into Compass students, like pass blocking assignments yeah. for this football. We people. were shifting over and and changing assignments, and Pastor Evan is taking over our student ministry, which also leaves uh, an open spot in our kids men, which we have Cat Flores who is coming on full time as our kids ministry coordinator. <laughs> We are excited for that, obviously. And uh, Kat's responsibility is going to be to coordinate all things logistically and administratively uh, for our kids ministry program on Sunday morning, and our kids ministry midweek programming, as well as summer camps, and even our uh, Christmas choir this December, and she's going to be uh, in control of the day-to-day uh, outworkings of our kids ministry. Uh, and she'll be working underneath uh, underneath the pastoral leadership of myself. And uh, I'll be I'll be pastorally right, over the kidsmen, but she will be leading the day to day ministry there. And we're so excited to have her. She's uh, going to be it's just a gift to our church and to our our kids and and their parents. So grateful to have Cat. If you see her around, uh, congratulate her. If you see Jordan around, hug his neck. He's he'll be here for the next. He'll be here until Thursday. He'll be leaving out. He's hug his neck. Tall. He is pretty. You'll you'll find maybe maybe hug his shoulder and uh, we're looking forward to what God's going to do with him, and we're excited for Pastor Evan to be taking over our student ministry. Uh, Other announcements, we have our Back to School Bash coming up. Be mindful of who you're going to bring with you next week. We want to see our auditorium packed out in both the 9 and the 11, and we want to celebrate what God's doing uh, at our church and celebrate halfway through the year what he's done and what we expect God to do as the gospel rings out clearly to those in our church we have our women's breakfast August 26th from 9 a.m. to 11. We'll continue there in the book of James. So gals from 6th grade uh, on up. Be sure to be at the women's breakfast Saturday, August 26th. We have two baptism services coming up. The August 27th baptism service is full, which is such a praise. Praise But the Lord. we have another baptism service on October the 15th, which is still open for registrants. So if you need to be baptized, be sure to go on and register there. And we have our Compass Midweek starting up August 23rd, and Adventure Club registrations are open, so make sure if you haven't, register your kids for Adventure Club. Uh, And last but not least, we want to remind everyone of our partnership with Compass Bible Institute, where uh, we are now going to be having a hybrid class taught here at Compass Bible Church Hill Country, the uh, class... Uh, for small groups and discipleship that myself, Hayden, and Dr. Mark Kelly are going to be co-teaching this class. Some weeks we'll be teaching live here in the Hill Country and we'll live stream it over there uh, to Aliso Viejo. And some weeks it'll be taught live there in Aliso Viejo and live streamed over here into the Hill Country. And that class is on Saturdays from 6.45 to 8.45 p.m. And just like going to school at the University or the Seminary, you need to apply online at Compass Compass uh, Bible org and apply to be a student and then pay the registration fee and then register for the class. And we'd love to have as many people here uh, in person as possible in the Hill Country. If you have more questions about that, you can reach out to me, Hayden, H A Y D E N, at Compass Hill org. We'd love to see you in class with us this fall at CBI. All right, church, we love you. We're grateful for you and we'll see you next week.